Good afternoon, good morning, or good evening, and welcome to the American Age Podcast. This is your host, C. Travis Webb, editor of the American Age, and I am speaking to you from Irvine, California. Hi, this is Stephen G. Fullwood, and I am the co-founder of the Nomadic Archivist Project, as well as the exhibition coordinator for Marking Time, Art and Age for Mass Incarceration, which is an exhibition focusing on uh, and highlighting and platforming formerly incarcerated, currently incarcerated, and artists who focus on, whose work focuses on the carceral state. It is now up at the National Underground Railroad Freedom Center in Cincinnati, Ohio, until August 2nd. 7th, excuse me, August 7th, and I'm actually coming to you from Harlem. And I am Seth Rodney. I am a freelance uh, arts writer and critic, and I'm speaking to you from where I live in Newburgh, New York. And curator. Oh yeah, that's right. Oh yeah, I should add that, shouldn't I? (laughs) You should 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 update. Yeah, yeah. Update your um, good point. Thank you. Mm. Uh, this is to remind our listeners that we practice a form of intellectual intimacy, which is giving ourselves the space and time to figure out things out loud and together. Uh, and today we are going to talk about um, basically staying or moving away from home. So, mm. you know, being close to where you grew up uh, or what it's like to not be close to where you grew up, mm. um, to live uh, far or near from where you grew up. I couldn't really figure out an elegant way to say that. Um, <laughs> so Stephen suggested this topic. I think probably all Seth, had you seen the article when he sent it around? Cause I had seen it uh, probably the day or two before. I don't know why, you know, you, things come pop through your feed all the time. Uh-huh. Uh, but that when I saw and read, and so it would just, it kind of, it's coincidental that, that Stephen had mentioned it. Had you seen the article before he brought it up? No, not at all. In fact, um, okay. When I I read it, uh, I had to read it a couple of times for it to really stick because the first mm-hmm. time I read it, I wasn't really sure what it was trying to tell me because it seemed to be telling me a couple of different things. Mm-hmm. And then the second time I read it, I thought, oh, yeah, it is telling me a couple of different things. Um, um, but I want to let Stephen sort of introduce the, the topic yeah. since he brought it up. Sure. I guess you guys have yeah. kind of did a good job with it. Um, <clears throat> but the, um, the, so the, um, the name of the article is Study Millennials Didn't Stray Far From Where They Grew Up by Mike Schneider. And this is an AP article, and it came across my feed. And it basically talks about the, um, that there was a study done that by the age 26, more than two-thirds of young adults in the U.S. lived in the same area where they grew up. 80% had moved less than 100 miles away, and 90% resided less than 500 miles away. And so they were talking about the differences in between, um, for example, black young blacks versus young Hispanics, blacks and whites, economic opportunities that that require people to move, um, and that these different shifts um, <clears throat> in people moving away or staying where they are were affected by the pandemic, but also about the shifting economic look of the U.S. And what is interesting to me because I just felt like I needed more. I didn't do any more research, but I needed to do more <laughs> um, because mm-hmm. I was curious about my own and you guys's uh, your um, stories around going somewhere to be to do something, either to get married or to go to the army or to whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. So the um, what I was interested when it comes to this article in terms of people moving away from where they grew up were the reasons why. And the article only mm-hmm. really focuses on the economic reasons, but I also thought about the artists that I knew. A great deal of the artists in my circle left their cities to move to bigger cities to become artists, for example, to LA, to New York City, to Atlanta. Um, and so I was curious about your Seth's and Travis's story about why they left, you know, um, if they care to share it and to share my own and maybe kind of um, provide some insights. We're not millennials by any stretch, but um, I think some of the factors are similar in terms of economic opportunity, um, even though, um, yeah. So I was just curious about you guys, and then maybe mm-hmm. it would lead into a broader conversation about uh, why people leave and why they stay. So Travis, feel free. Sure, sure. So I, you know, I, I probably don't fit cleanly into either framework. So um, we mm-hmm. moved around quite a bit when I was a kid, especially for, 
uh, a family who wasn't in the, my dad was in the military uh, before I was born, but after I was born, not. But we moved a bit um, and we certainly moved for economic opportunity. So my, um, I grew up until a certain age, uh, spectacularly poor. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. Uh, it's not something that I, not not that I don't talk about it because I'm embarrassed by it. It's just not something that I, I think about right. very often. But it's certainly, as I've gotten older, I do understand the ways that it has shaped my thinking um, okay. and certainly my sensibilities uh, about kind of social position, positioning and sensitivities to it. Uh, it certainly mm-hmm, comes mm-hmm. from that background. So uh, we moved around quite a bit. So uh, Germany, Arkansas, um, Mm -hmm. uh, south of San Diego, like right near the Mexican border. Um, And Mm -hmm. then finally where I ended up doing most of what I would consider my growing up was in Walnut, California, um, Mm -hmm. which uh, is right near Diamond Bar. Uh, And these are both very pleasant suburbs. You know, uh, Diamond Bar is a little bit more shishi than than Walnut, but but they're both nice. What was your ages? What was your age range? Yeah, we got to uh, Walnut when I was in fifth grade, the summer of my fifth grade year. We had moved quite a bit before that. Lived in Long Beach for a while um, Mm -hmm. uh, in an area of Long Beach... um, well, I mean, it's, it's probably become gentrified now, but for a long time wasn't, you know, it was not uncommon for me to hear uh, gunfire. And, you know, I mean, it's, okay. you know, it was, um, th- that was what it was like for me growing up. I never, you know, consciously, I didn't really think about those things. I know that subconsciously it really soaked in because I was very, okay. um I remember being very embarrassed by the car my parents drove when I was in seventh grade mm-hmm. because, um, and not even really understanding that's what, what it was. Right. But, um, uh-huh. all of my friends had these, you know, much nicer cars. This is after we had moved to Walnut. And I remember just being embarrassed by that. Um, and so I haven't, you know, where I would have done the bulk of my growing up starting in fifth grade, would have been, uh, I'm not that far from it now. I mean, that's probably 50 miles away, give or take. Um, oh, wow. Okay. But but certainly, you know, where I have lived, you know, previously when I was really young, you know, hundreds of miles away, a thousand miles away, et cetera. You know, mm-hmm. the Germany thing was I was super, super young. I mean, I was a baby, basically, so I don't really remember that at all. Um, okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's my... Um, but my parents certainly, you know, my dad was from Arkansas, moved out to California. My mom was from a, a super working class family in Germany, uh, and married my dad mm-hmm. and came to the state. So my parents are very much part of the moving for economic opportunity story. Okay. Yeah. And I, and, and my parents are very much part of that, uh, story as well. My parents are working class Jamaicans. My, I should say my mm-hmm. mom was, my mom passed away last year but uh when she and my father emigrated from jamaica yes at the time my mom was a school teacher i want to say elementary but i'm not sure about that but i know she was a school teacher and my father was a plumber or plumber's assistant um i looked up my research on this is sketchy i i did this kind of what was what's the way to say, and I sort of ad hoc way a few years back where I was interested okay. um, when I was in London I was interested in finding out what the economic circumstances were in Kingston where my father's from at the time that he likely left Jamaica which would have been uh, I was born in 1970 so he would have left in like 66 or 67 60 something like that um, okay I looked it up and again I'm not sure I'm not positive about this but from what I read, the indications are that unemployment rate in Kingston was somewhere between 20 and 25%. So that means okay. like one in five, one in four people were out of work. So clearly, huge incentive to get the hell out. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I grew up in the North Bronx, uh, in a section of the Bronx close to White Plains. Um, I think it's called Wakefield, actually. So because the branch... The New York Public Library branch I used to go to as a kid, um, and I, I love books. Um, so I, I mm-hmm. and during summers, I'd go there all the time. Uh, it's the Wakefield branch of the NYPO. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I, my story is kind of similar to some of the things that um, the article um, millennials didn't stray far from where they grew up mentioned, um, mentioned that they mentioned that young black adults tend to move to um, Atlanta was the pop, most popular destination followed by Houston and Washington. Whereas for um, other folks, for white adults leaving their hometowns, New York, LA, Washington, and Denver were the most popular destinations. Mm-hmm. Well, I moved to LA and I moved to LA specifically right after undergrad, because I knew that I wanted to experience more of the U.S. That was my main thing. Like, I just didn't want to die in New York having not lived anywhere else. Wow. And and so it was was super worth it for me, um, ultimately. I went to grad school. That's how I met Travis um, out in Mm -hmm. Southern California um, through our uh, then mutual friend, Fareed. Uh, I moved on to London because, and I've told this story a lot, um, maybe not on this podcast, but certainly um, in my travels um, mm-hmm. and speaking engagements, that I specifically wanted to live in another country because I'd grown up with this kind of constant drumbeat of America's the greatest nation on the planet. Oh, yeah. There's blessed by God. There's nobody, no one greater, no, no nation greater. Um, this is, mm-hmm. you know, the pinnacle of human civilization. And I just thought, I just really want to live somewhere else just so I can see whether that's bullshit or not. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so I, when I decided to go to grad school, I wanted to, I wanted to get, get out. And, and mm-hmm. so I went to London and, uh, uh, I was in London from 2006 to 2011 and came back to New York for practical reasons because uh, I couldn't, I, and my visa ran out and I hadn't finished my PhD and this was the only place really um, I could go and sort of afford to start a life again. And the only reason I was able to do that, I have to shout out Lawrence Harding because he let me sleep mm-hmm. on his couch for two years while I worked on that PhD thesis and for the first few months when I didn't wasn't working, he um, bought all the food and uh, uh, basically kept me fed and um, healthy um, for that mm-hmm. time. And ultimately, I did pay him back. I gave him a, a really, really substantial check because I kind of kept track of all the chance, the, the you know, the running mm-hmm. tab in my head. Um, and I was grateful to to be able to do that. But uh, the only reason I got through was that I he he and other people like Travis and and like my mom helped me out. But I moved I moved specifically because I want I, I, it sort of sort of subaltern uh, uh, reason is that I di- I was chasing economic opportunity. Really, I, I was chasing a career. I was trying to like become an artist, and then I was trying to become. Uh, an arts researcher and writer. Um, but the other reason too was that I just wanted a kind of fuller picture for myself of what it's like mm. to live in different places. You made me think about what you said, um, Steph, about wanting to have good conversations. Mm. Like, you know, it's mm. like, well, that's one of the ways you can do that by changing where you live, mm-hmm. you know, um, mm-hmm. and seeking out those kind of kinds of engagements. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, Travis, I wanted to say with regards to well, the, Steve, wait, like, wait, well, you got to, what, what, you got to tell us your story. I mean, you got, you got, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I do plan on telling you. I just want to get these things out okay. of my head because I didn't want to uh, okay, both okay. of you. Um, okay. So the one thing I was thinking about, Travis, with you and your, um, the way you, um, were, um, in the world and that, so let on taking another path. I'd love to hear how growing up a particular economic status, because I grew up poor as well, shaped your thinking. You know, cause you, you said you don't think about it very much, but you've learned that it has shaped the way you think. And it's definitely shaped the way I think. So I just wanted to put a bookmark in that and come back to that later um, yeah, related sure. to that. Yeah. And so the Windrush generation, mm. that was before your father left, correct, Seth? And he didn't go to London. He went came to the States. That's, that is right. The Windrush generation was slightly earlier, just slightly, yeah. I think. And um, yeah, it yeah. was, from, it was uh, from Jamaica and maybe other points in the Caribbean to uh, London. Yeah, it, so I thought it was after World War II, and England needed someone to come and clean everything up. <laughs> that sounds about right. With a lot of dead people, they needed they needed the labor force. There were, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So that's yeah. Yeah, yeah. I want to spend more time with the Windrush generation because there are a few friends of mine who are children of those um, immigrants, mm-hmm. and they're artists now, and they are now starting to explore that 
that dynamic of their parents, their, mm. their parents' experience mm. with that. So, um, so very briefly, unlike the both of you, I, unlike most of my friends in my close circle, I grew up in the same, I, I lived 18, I was 18 years in the home mm. that my father bought and my mother bought mm-hmm. in 1964. Mm. Um, the house that's still there today, the house that he actually passed away in. So, mm. or not in, but he passed away in the hospital. But that's the mm. very last. And my father was my father was born in Louisiana mm. and raised in Arkansas. Mm. And at the age of seventeen, he jumped the first thing he could to get out of there. Mm-hmm. And nineteen fifty seven was an interesting year, so I'm going to play with that artistically. But he knew that he did not want to live in Arkansas or Louisiana. And the bulk of his relatives in Louisiana and Arkansas were doing the same thing. They were, but they were moving to Compton, California. And mm. it's funny because I think of Compton, California growing up as being, you know, um, a, an area where a lot of hip hop was, was being, you know, mm-hmm. born, you know. Mm-hmm. And so my dad was on his way to Compton, but stopped in Ohio to visit relatives. And these relatives weren't really relatives. They were just people he knew in Arkansas that lived on a farm not far from theirs. And so he was there just a bit to them. But he met my mother and stayed. And then they had five kids. <laughs> and I'm one of the third, the third of five. And I dreamed of moving to Paris, um, inspired by Baldwin when I was a sophomore in college. Mm. And it started a Paris fund, right? I wasn't making much money. I worked at Pizza Hut throughout my entire, um, Pizza Hut as well as a bunch of other jobs throughout my entire tenure in college. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I didn't have enough nerve to move over to Paris. I couldn't fathom it. I just had the idea. It just seemed mm. charming to me as a fantasy. Mm. Um, but I was itching to get out of Toledo forever. And only, I think the impetus, I know that the impetus was that Carla got accepted into Columbia. Mm. And Carla and I, mm. at that time, so throughout, the, my, throughout my entire college career, Carla and I lived in separate apartments and then finally joined, joined um, households so we could save money. And so um, I became Andre's godparent. And she graduated slightly before I did, decided that she needed to get out of Toledo. And once she got accepted, I was like, fuck, (laughs) I got to get the fuck out of Toledo. (laughs) And so at that time, I had spent like maybe two and a half years as a children's librarian at the Mott Branch Library in Toledo, Ohio, Mm. and decided I was going to go to uh, graduate school in Atlanta. Mm. So part of what that story, I did, I went to Atlanta. I've lived in D.C., and the only reason why I lived in D.C. was a summer that of the Olympics in Atlanta, 96. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, I had a job at the Library of Congress, a fellowship there for the summer. Mm. And so I've lived in Toledo, Atlanta, D.C., and now New York City. And New York wasn't a place I endeavored to move. Um, I was pretty much kind of floating for a moment. I knew that um, the only place I wanted to work here was the Schoenberg Center. So thank goodness that worked out. That was a great mm. feeling. Um, there's a later, but New York gives me a lot of what I want in people, architecture, food, um, culture. I like where it's situated on the East Coast in terms of being a hub. I can get to foreign. I can get to um, other countries. I can get to the other side of the U.S. I, I like what New York gives to me overall. Before the pandemic, after the, well, not even after the pandemic, the pandemic's still here. Um, so mm. I moved here, I think, one, to be with Carla and Andre after graduate school in Atlanta, because she was here with Andre. And so I was missing family, you know, and also missing, uh, Atlanta was reminding me that there, it wasn't a home, it was a moment to be, to go to grad school, to learn more about wanting to be a writer and to think better, to be a better thinker. Mm-hmm. And Atlanta, the Atlanta that I ran into was class-based and very cliquish. Mm. And a friend of mine said, it's largely middle management. So even though blacks look like they're doing well to some degree, it's not like they own anything. But at the same time, people were moving there because it was a bit of a mecca for, for a number of reasons, for the culture, the schools, and so forth. But I didn't need any of that. I graduated out of trying to be in any group whatsoever. So um, I just wanted to, when I got here, Atlanta, I mean, t- New York opened up as a place. The Schomburg was amazing. But the museums, the um, like I said, the place 
New York felt like home to me in a way that I didn't, that Baldwin didn't describe for me. Mm. Baldwin was like, let me get the fuck out of here. This place, this, no. He felt like Harlem for him was the problem with the U.S. <laughs> and race. Like all the problems could be traced back to or were exemplified or in, in parts of the way he grew up in Harlem. And I was like, I don't need to go there. No, I'm good. <laughs> um, <laughs> and how many years later since December 97? And I don't plan on moving. I just plan on maybe getting a, uh, another place with another bedroom. But that's it. I like this place a lot. Mm-hmm. And yeah. staying here economically is a good move for so many reasons because of what I do with archives. But I think I could probably do the same thing in D.C. or L.A. Less so in L.A., I think, because I haven't really felt, given myself a lot of space, time out there to gauge the kinds of things I think. Like, if I were into audiovisual archiving, yes, I would want to work out there, because I'd love to work in film. That would be awesome. Mm. But, um, but, yeah, news just gives me what I need, and yeah, that's it. Mm. Um, yeah, I, uh, I mean, there's a number of things where I, uh, I, I wanted to jump in and say something. Um, the, I guess I'll just start with the, the tail end. Um, yeah, for me, um, psychologically, emotionally, probably spiritually. Um, mm-hmm. I love cities. Um, I love New York. Mm-hmm. Um, I love okay. London, Chicago, mm-hmm. any, mm-hmm. any, um, any major city where you can hit the streets and start walking and get somewhere. Um, Plus you like I, sidewalk culture. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, I, and and not necessarily as an observer, but as a participant. Um, I actually okay. just really uh, like being inside of uh, large cities. Uh, London, I love London. I love Paris, mm-hmm. uh, Berlin, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, and it has been in my um, in. I, this is an aside. I would say the pandemic response is still with us. I would say the pandemic is not with us. Um, those okay. are they're not they're not the same thing. How come um, I knew that? I knew that. I knew well, it. Yeah, it's it's it, well because I the the reason that it the the reason things like that will stick in my in my brain get kind of lodged in my brain there is because mm-hmm. um, I, I do sincerely feel that this is a type of class warfare. Um, that mm. the pandemic is essentially a manifestation of class warfare, of elite Ooh, culture okay. versus uh, kind of working class culture, trucker culture, et cetera, or whatever. Uh, and and it's really wow. it's really okay. not about public health and wasn't about public health very quickly thereafter the the pandemic erupted, which mm. does relate to what we're talking about because okay. I I feel. Um, very Jekyll and Hyde uh, in my own uh, skin right now because the things mm-hmm. that I love and the things that that sort of stir me or mm-hmm. uh, inspire me are all of these things that elite culture uh, at least attempts mm-hmm. to reproduce and attempts to engage with uh, in good faith, whether that's real or not. But that's always been true, right? I mean. Um, I don't mean to be vague, but just because you go mm-hmm. to an art museum does not mean that you are, in fact, you know, engaging uh, earnestly with the artwork there, right? You might be there because this is what people in your social class do. So, gotcha. okay. um, and that's mm-hmm. always been true, right? That That's not a new thing. I understand that's not a new thing. Um, the It could be a signifier, yeah, of a particular... Yeah, yeah, thank, thank you. That's a, mu- that's a much yeah. more... Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a much more elegant way to say it. Um, the the dichotomy between the earnest engagement with uh, the most ambitious and best that has been thought or done by human beings, the, mm. the dichotomy mm-hmm. between the earnest engagement with that and the performance is now more clear to me than it has been ever in my life. And that, that mm. causes me to be, I'm super uncomfortable with it. I don't actually know what to do with it. I'm still kind of, floundering around how to engage with that. So cities I still love. I still last mm-hmm. time I was in New York. I, I mean, it's been a while since I've been in New York, but I still love mm-hmm. all of the same things that I loved, uh, but I don't feel like I belong in those places anymore um, because th- 
I, I can tell you want to jump in stuff and then I'll, so I'll just round out the the things that, uh, that I love. I feel like, um, um, I, I feel I, I, this is a little too dramatic, but I just, it's what came to mind. I feel betrayed by those things. Um, Ooh, I, wow. I, I feel, I, I feel like, I feel like the things that we collectively said that we were doing, uh, around, uh, uh, sort of our collective effort to expand mm-hmm. free expression and liberty and, um, and kind of, uh, flourishing human flourishing, um, are, are fairly, are pretty hollow. Um, and so I, I feel, mm. I very much do. I do feel, I feel betrayed by those things. So let me ask this, uh, because I want to come at this as a rather bleak angle. And so now I live in a fucking suburb, <laughs> which, which I don't love that either, right? So I don't, there's no, well, no and well, this sub, is what I mean, like, I don't, I don't love that, right? Well, I mean, I really suburbs, don't. Suburbs are fucking boring. They're just, they're yeah. just beige. <laughs> they're just yeah, beige. Yes. Like, there's no, yes. like, no real color, no, like, no emphatic uh, address of any sort of, um, idea or aesthetic. It's just like, it's beige. But, but let me ask you this about cities. Cause, uh, cause I, 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 as I listened to you, I was thinking, yeah, I love cities too. And I live outside of a large city. I live in a rather small one. And I, and I actually really prefer Mm -hmm. that at this point in my life. But I think, Part of I'm gonna guess, Travis, and and for you too, Stephen, that part of what draws you both to cities is not just the idea of being exposed to or in conversation with the quote best and brightest of humanity oh. and 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 the sort of most sophisticated ideas. I think, although there is that's part of it, I think you're mm. also both drawn to the city for the same reasons I'm drawn to the city, which is that that kind of concentration of culture is also visually delightful. It's orally delightful. You get, um, um, uh, I think you, you said this even, Stephen, like the, the food that's available to you, the variety oh, yeah. and, the, and the quality. Yeah. Um, uh-huh. These are things that you find mostly in cities. So it's not just about the engagement with like great ideas. It's also these other things that are just, come to kind of uh, congregate in cities that are on many levels, you know, again, visually, orally, um, what's the, what's the word for taste? Uh, olfactorily. Thank oh, you. Yeah. Oh, oh, well, that olfactory would be smell, I guess. Yeah, no, it's just, mm-hmm. but whatever, yeah. you know what I'm talking about. Um, these things are, they're a kind of garden of delights. So I, I'm pretty sure if, if, what one would try to metaphorically shove you into a corner, Travis, that you would admit that those things are still kind of delightful to you. Oh, yes. This is, this is, the, yeah. this is the Jekyll and Hyde of it. Of course, absolutely. And um, I, when I say best and brightest, I do mean the category capaciously. Like if you've moved to New York City mm-hmm. because you fucking love Szechuan cooking and you want people to taste your Szechuan cooking. And so you open up a Szechuan restaurant in order to share that with people. Absolutely. I mean, not that yeah. there isn't mediocre food in New York, there's mediocre food everywhere, right. but no, I, I mm-hmm. absolutely, yes. yes. The garden of delights is a, is a nice way to put it. Yes. Mm-hmm. I, I very much feel all that. And I feel like, I, I feel like it, the elite culture that occupies these cities that I love actually really mm-hmm. don't give a shit about those things. Oh no, and, not at know, all. It, and really? actually this no. is not yeah this is not what they're about um and and I feel you know I, I'm sure that's what the way it always was but of course yeah. I didn't feel that in my bones the way I do now when I when I'm in those places so but but your engagement with ideas and thinking I mean these are some of the places um, where you can meet with people who have read the same books have yes. gone to certain yes, colleges yeah. who have the same rigor yeah. yes you know in terms of their um, looking for and developing and, and interrogating ideas. And so that, so it's interesting. I was thinking about this portrayal and I couldn't locate it in my brain and in my heart. Mm. I was like, Oh, I don't know if I feel like I've been betrayed because I think that I are not that I knew, but I've always been weary of the elite class. I felt like that they were not have, friends of anyone. Ever since we started. Absolutely. You have, you absolutely yeah, have. I've yeah, always yeah. been weary as far of as that. I, but also, yeah. Yeah. And then also, 
uh, you know, what I saw as, I don't know if they were actually these actual things, but some sort of like, come and ha- hang out with us. I'm like, uh, you don't get yeah. this. <laughs> I'd rather go over here <laughs> with these people. And the proletariat, that's where I'm at, you know? So, I mean, I have, I've romanticized that, which I don't think is all that um, great either. But I feel like that portrayal is really interesting to me. Can you say more about that? Yeah, I th- well, I think you actually just captured it really well. I do, and I mean, obviously, you know, I mean, it's 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 been a minute since we've been doing the podcast, right? I mean, it's been a while, but yeah. you definitely, early in our conversations, I detected a natural suspicion of elite culture, which I naively did not feel, and I mean that naively. I mean, th- there is, a- wow. as, 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 as cerebral as I can be, and as... Um, intuitive mm-hmm. as I, as I can be at times, I am also shot. There is a, there is a deep vein of naivete in my, in, in my brain. Like I really, my knee jerk reaction is to, uh, this sounds self-congratulatory. I, I really don't mean it that mm-hmm. way. I really don't. My knee jerk reaction is to believe people. Like, so when you, like, if you, if you I say like, it's a bad thing. Well, well, it can be like if you, it was like, well, no, I, 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 I beat that guy because like he was looking at, you know, he, he came onto my wife, not because, you know, he was like a black guy and it was 1952 and it was, you know, the deep gotcha. South, right? Mm-hmm. Like they, people lie ab- about their intentions all the time. They lie to themselves about their yeah. intentions. They lie to, I mean, we, we just, yes. we have, uh, our insight into our own motivations is, is really myopic. It's not great. We really can't see things. So that naive, that naivete Mm -hmm. really is, it's a shortcoming. It seems like nice, Mm -hmm. like, oh, you trust people or whatever, but really it's a kind of ignorance. And, and so I am very slow and I know this about myself. And so I I try to watch for it, but of course Mm -hmm. I can't see everything. And I, so I'm very slow. Mm -hmm. I, I really do feel like your, uh, your natural suspicion of elite culture has served you well. You you say that you do the same thing with like the proletariat. I believe, I mean, of course we shouldn't idolize that either because, you know, assholes are everywhere. People, people are everywhere. So, I mean, so, but I think that that served you well and I think it has not served me well and it's caused me to misread Mm. a number of things in my life. Um, Mm. And, and so that's where I feel betrayed, right? Because I, I believed you know, I believed that the um, the earnest engagement with these ideas and the professed feeling that people in these classes okay. that reproduce these signifiers, that reproduce the idea of liberty, mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. reproduce the idea of variety, that reproduce the idea that a, a multiplicity of people's opinions, cultures is a good thing. I believed that and it's not true. It's, it's just, it's simply, it's clearly not true. Um, the, the pandemic has revealed that, that wait, lie wait a minute, wait a minute, to me wait, what's, and what's I'm still not, reeling from that. Sorry, what sorry, exactly but, is not true, Travis? That, that these, that institutions um, and elite culture that I'm using kind of broadly, right? I mean, you can poke holes okay. in that because like is elite culture there, is elite culture there, you know, but the reproduction of media uh, the production of culture vis-a-vis film, vis-a-vis play, vis-a-vis musical, vis-a-vis music, vis-a-vis television, except, you know, e.g., 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 right? So that that their commitment to, that the institutional commitment that supports the production of these ideas and products, it products mm-hmm. the, uh, the, the creation of these cultural products is not at all committed to things that I thought that they were committed to oh. things like freedom of expression or things, things they said. Like, yes, exactly. Yes. So that's, things that's that what said. I, right. yeah, yeah, right. Okay. Right. Exactly. The, the, the ideas that supposedly they were invested in. Um, I'll give you, here's a really low hanging fruit example. Really, really low hanging fruit. It, can, can either one of you like, so let's take the, let's take just like a simple word, like freedom, right? Like the word freedom. Can, can either one of you, honestly say in the elite cultures that you travel in, I certainly I travel in my own, that the word freedom can be used unironically without a snark, without an aside, 
without a comment, without a qualifier, when describing the aspiration, right? It's always up uh, freedom, freedom, you know, like air quotes, freedom, free or D-U-M, right? The, the idea, the very idea that, that what has driven human migration for tens of thousands of years, the things that, has, that have driven political upheaval, the thing that drove the civil rights movement, the thing that, that, that drove diasporas across the world, that was all mm-hmm. fucking freedom, all of it. Like it should be said mm-hmm, proudly. Mm-hmm. It should be said. It should be said without qualifier. Who cares if Trump has a hat that that has Trump? Free? I mean, whatever it is, who cares what political oh, side mm-hmm, co-ops mm-hmm. the term? The very idea is, in fact, the bedrock of everything that's worthwhile in a political arrangement. A, polit- a political mm-hmm, arrangement. Mm-hmm, I'll, last thing mm-hmm, I'll say: mm-hmm. a political arrangement that does anything other than do its best to protect and expand freedom is a political arrangement that is rotten and and is built for people in power. So I, I, I'm not going to take issue with like three quarters of what you just said, <laughs> but I want, <laughs> but I do want to, I, I do want to do two things. One, I want to kind of get us back on this path of talking, um, in sort of more about this article. This is this cities. Sort of, this is this. Uh, this is actually how I feel. This is what I feel like a New York is. Actually, no, no, this no, is I, why I love the city. No, no I get it. No freedom. Yeah. No, I yeah. get it. Uh-huh. But, but. Okay, I do want to talk sort of a little bit more about like our migratory patterns and what spurred them. But mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to go back, I, I do want to take one take issue with this notion that that the thing that actually drove human civilization out and to um, further explore, like that, basically, as you say, sort of um, drove diasporas um, into being, is mm-hmm. not necessarily freedom. I'm reading this book now called "The World Without Us." And it's uh, it's a really oh yeah deep total bullshit junk. <laughs> is this the is the 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 Graeber book? No, no. Oh oh okay wait oh sorry sorry I, I maybe I uh, <laughs> oh I, I'm sorry D- Dawn of Everything is the one I was confusing. Oh yeah about. no 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 the yeah, world yeah, without so, us is very okay. different. No it's um it's actually looking at what would happen if the human species were just suddenly to disappear. Like how, like what would happen in terms of biodiversity in the world? And the person, I think his name is Weisberg or Wiseman, who's, mm-hmm. who's written this book, has done a few, has sort of speculated about this by doing a few different things. One of the things he does is he goes to old forests that have been mostly preserved for the last few hundred years. Like there's a place in Poland mm-hmm. on the border with some other country where there's like, I don't know, a, 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 a significantly large forest that has, um, mm-hmm. and it gives, a, gives an example of what, um, uh, what the world might go back to if we were to, to suddenly mm-hmm. disappear. And he talks about the fossil records in places like Kenya and Tanzania and uh, speculates that actually what may have driven us out uh, from the jungles to the grasslands and, and, and over um, mm-hmm. into the steps where we might have been fodder for local megafauna, um, like tigers and bears and that, that sort of thing. What drove us, he speculated two things, two primary reasons. One is that in the space where we were, we were running out of resources. There was so much, we had grown so large that there was so much, there were so many of us that mm-hmm. we had, some of us had to venture out, but because we were, uh, we were running out of food, basically, and we couldn't, we couldn't mm-hmm. support the, 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 the numbers of people that we had gathered in one place. So we had to. Mm-hmm. So it was hunger that actually drove the diasporas, or it was, um, or it was kind of what you're talking about. It was that inquisitive, curious. It was the thing where at the point where mm. we started to become hominids and, and, and stand on two feet, we could actually look over, um, certain, um, uh, uh, uh we had access to a vista that, that we did not have when we were on all fours and we saw further out and we thought, Oh, we could, we might be able to get there. We might be able to like cross this grassy knoll and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. So, so. Can I respond to to two things? Sure. Yeah. So no. So okay. Sure. Hunger absolutely is uh, is definitely is a reason that humans would have migrated. Um, 
what I was referring to is once sort of political arrangements began and sort of began to ramp up mm-hmm. um, in in geographies in in which uh, you have open plains and and easily crossed barriers, people just fucking left. Like mm-hmm. they like when mm-hmm. when warlords would begin to, begin to accumulate power and you would begin to get dynasties and stuff like that. People would migrate; they'd leave mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. you work in the field now. Like I know you thought this is what you were doing, but actually this is what you're doing now. And if you don't, I'm going to kill you, or I'm going to I'm going to kill you anyway, or whatever. Right, and so right. they would they would leave. In in geographies mm-hmm. that are not easily traversed. Um, such as like kind of the, the northern plains of China that are 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 highly uh, like contained. You know, you get to the the steppe on the the western uh, portion. Japan, for example, um, what ended up happening is that you got increasing levels of political organization through war, through fighting, because people couldn't leave because they mm-hmm. couldn't flee. Mm-hmm. And just I mean, and so let's take the history out of it. So let's let's not look. Just look at today, right? When do people leave their countries? They leave their countries because of war. They leave and their countries famine. because of yeah. uh, oppression. They leave their countries yeah, man, because yeah. of yes. mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Uh, certainly, absolutely. Yeah, and yeah. all of these, and and I don't I don't want to stretch it too thin, because I did not say hunger, and you are correct. I believe you you are one hundred percent right. These are mm. not the same thing, mm. but hunger, being able to ply your way to provide food for yourself or to participate mm-hmm. in the production of food for your family is absolutely a kind of liberty. It's absolutely a kind of liberty. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. A- a- absolutely. And so I-, I would say that as as a cousin yeah. to that very idea. It's not the same, right? I mean, you might steal someone's food. I get it, right? So, But, but I don't think that these are completely uh, disconnected reasons or disconnected ideas. I do think curiosity drives human expansion. Of course, that's absolutely mm-hmm. true. But again, I would just, I would renew, I would renew my, I mean, even the idea, I mean, I do have to say, I, the reason I reacted that strongly, even though I got the book wrong, is how masturbatory to write a book about imagining the world without human beings. I mean, this mm. idea, it, I mean, it's essentially Silenic wisdom in the 21st century. It's, it's, it's playing with a kind of nihilism. The world would no, be better. What's no, implied? No, 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 no. It's not, no, it's not doing that. So it's you don't have any that. respect for it as, but you don't have a respect for it as an intellectual exercise. Because I do. No, as of an course idea. I do. I'm like, so no, no. how does it, right. No, no, okay. of course, as an exercise, but its role in a, in the social milieu. But let, let me, I want to back off for a second because Seth is saying I'm mischaracterizing it. So yeah, yeah, no, 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 no. I don't, yeah, I don't think that you're getting what the book is doing. Like it's, the book is not actually, and it's hard for me to explain it because the book is complicated and it's doing mm-hmm. a bunch of things at the same time. It's looking at fossil records. It's actually looking at old growth forests. It's actually looking at um, places mm-hmm. that were, have been abandoned. There's a, pa- a place in Cyprus, apparently, where there was this ongoing war, and it was it was actually d- d- a, a, like a, a, a seaside sort of hotel thing development that was that was on its way up, and this war um, intervened, and basically this, this, the place has been abandoned for the, like the last I don't know, fifty or seventy years. And he talks about. What happens when cement begins to crack and fall apart? Ultraviolet rays do this, change that. Like what survives basically? Um, when what he's trying to do basically is say, so this is how human civilization has influenced the world and made the world a certain way, you know, with increased CO2 in the atmosphere. What might the world look like without these particular pressures? Like what would happen? And, um, and so it's not, it's not really fantasizing about human sort of, um, it's not nihilistic in fantasizing about humans, um, being vanquished. It's more saying, here's what possibility, here's what the world looked like before we got here. And here's what biodiversity looks like. And here's, um, um, sort of like what, and we are harming biodiversity, right? Is 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 one of the? I mean, this is one of the yeah, yeah. the yeah, yeah. conceits of the book, and and the, so I have to say, I feel like, and I'm not gonna. I haven't read the book, and then, mm. so I'm not gonna weigh in on that. Mm. The characterization, as it's being explained to me, mm-hmm. does feel like a genre that is very much of the late twentieth, early twenty first century, which is that mm. humans are a problem, right? 
this is this is this is the impression that I get as you describe the book that, that uh, humans are a problem, that there's there's a natural world that would be functioning in one particular way that would undoubtedly be more idyllic or Edenic. He's but, not, but he's not no, saying no, no, that. I, I, that's also what it, I, about the framing but, of it. Is, right. that, is that the frame? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but that I mean so. I believe you, Sefi, you're a careful reader. I, I, I believe you. But I'm, I'm saying that the characterization of mm. a, a, even just like words like biodiversity, mm-hmm. right? So, mm-hmm. uh, okay. I, I mean, I understand these concepts. I, I know what I, I understand, like ecotones or, you know, two areas of overlapping ecologies in which the diversity of life explodes. Like, di- you know, th- this, these are, these are rich ecological areas and human beings have begun to erase those, those biological mm-hmm. areas. There's a kind of sameness. I get all that. Um, I okay. get that that is, that has consequences. Um, but there really does seem to be a kind of pleasure in imagining and thinking about and framing human beings as a problem for the world, a problem that the world, that we have to figure out. We've got to figure out how to manage human beings because human beings are fundamentally different. They change their environment, which I I, I want to I want to let you jump in and, and, and we can take the conversation wherever. But, mm-hmm. but animals alter their environment. It's called niche construction or niche construction, however you want to say it, right? So like animals mm-hmm. alter their environment, animals, one of which we are. And it's not unique to humans. I mean, mm-hmm. ecological change over time is not solely because of human beings. Have we, are, are we, uh, is anthropogenic climate change real? Yeah, probably. The evidence seems, is, seems pretty convincing mm-hmm. that it is. But is that the only thing driving ecological change? Are human beings the only thing that have altered their environment? Are humans, the, I, I really resent this tendency in this literature to frame human beings whom I love. I would save a human over a dog every fucking day. Every day. I love human beings. I think we're wonderful. <laughs> don't say that. Don't say that. Someone could be listening I do. to I us. Really, I, I, think that, I, I think that we are absolutely yeah. amazing animals. Just spectacular. The things that the most average basic human being can conjure into their life with their brains is is remarkable, far remarkable than any fucking antelope or bear or cat or sequoia. <clears throat> and I love all those things, but I would take humans every fucking day over any of those things. Okay, so so two things. One cities. <laughs> that, one. I mean, I'm, but but it is connected. Like no, I, that's how that is. That's that's how I feel about it, and that's why I love cities mm-hmm. because you know I love people. I hear that. One thing is I haven't read the entire book yet. So I think you should allow me to report on the book once I finish sure. reading it. And then, oh, I, cool. and then I can cool. give a, yeah. a, a fuller representation, more complete representation of what I think the book's after. Um, and yeah, you're right. Like animals do um, transform their environments. Um, the book talks about how elephants mm-hmm. tend to create grasslands because they... Um, push mm. over trees and eat the bark and la la la. And goats are, mm-hmm. tend to be like the the first wave of gentrification or desert desertification because they tend to eat all the grass they possibly can. And and yeah, that's so. a funny switch. Desertification and gentrification—they're probably pretty similar, actually. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah they are. I mean, it's, it's kind of. I, I think he actually makes that point in the book. But this migratory pattern thing. I'm getting back to cities. I think that we're all. All of us have been sort of raised by cities. I mean, we've all gone from either mm-hmm. smaller to larger cities or vice versa. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and I wonder what there is about, specifically about the rural, that is not really unattractive to us. Because, I mean, we've been talking about what's attractive to us about cities. But, what, what, mm-hmm. but clearly we, I think, don't feel comfortable in the rural um, why is that? I have one very unexamined, fully, un, not really fully examined um, connection to that, <laughs> that, that question. And that's, mm-hmm. I was listening to a podcast maybe about, actually it was in Ohio mm-hmm. so it was in June. Mm-hmm. And there was, there were people 
in Maine, it was focused on Maine and its interesting politics. You know, some people mm-hmm. were extremely conservative and uh, that in the seventies, a lot of people with trust, trust fund money moved there to get back to the land. Mm-hmm. Right. They want to get back to the land. And it's like, well, how, mm-hmm. how much are you actually getting back to the land? If you're still shopping at Whole Foods and <laughs> doing this kind of thing, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can maybe make your avocado <laughs> toast and got it. Right. And so, so they were, they were um, riffing on that. And I was thinking about what, the rule went to my dad. My dad was like, I never want to work on a farm again. Mm. So the city, the small city that Toledo is, mm. it's a city that, that feels very small. It was heaven to him. Mm. You know, he wanted mm. to get out of the environment. Mm. And anytime he had to go back home, it was a traumatic event. I've been able to reconstruct through different stories. That he would tell me different times. Mm. Um, and one such story is that he drove home once. And so this is from Toledo to Arkansas. He never stopped once to use the bathroom to get food or anything. Wow. And so when he got home, his mother said, and I, and I have to retrace that story. I mean, we just retrace it and kind of reconstruct it the best way I can. But, um, you know, speed limit and all that. But he drove home and his mother saw him get out of the car, stumble out of the car, and he slept for two days after that. Wow. And wow. I was just thinking, That's what could have been in his mind? Yeah, it's, 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 it speaks about this notion of wanting to get away from the land mm. and what the land, you know, um, the, what the metaphor of the land is or mm. these open spaces. Mm. We romanticize them in films and we run, you know, the, if we're going out west, that's that's a big romance one, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. But there's a whole lot of westerns. There's a lot of fighting over um, gold. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, there's mm-hmm. a lot of that kind of thing. But it's this expansion that like again, it's 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 just arriving in my head around this this idea of something else. Mm. And again, my father, I, it was less than he turned, I believe, eighteen, June sixth, nineteen fifty seven. He was on a bus mm. to Toledo mm. to make his way over to California. And I think a lot about my father, but also think about there's a book called uh, The Overground Railroad by Candice Taylor. And in it, she um, looks at uh, she she meticulously researches the Green Book, and the Green Book mm-hmm. was created by a man named Green. Uh, that was actually at one point in all fifty um, uh, states where black people could go during Jim Crow to places that were safe for them. So it would be mm-hmm. you know clubs, hotels, restaurants, and so forth. Mm-hmm. I think the last one was published in nineteen sixty nine. Schomburg has almost a complete. Uh, set of them. They're wow. amazing. Wow. But the book but the book is amazing. And I wanted to go back to both of you and say what I love about the personal stories about what people do to go somewhere. Like for example, the 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 car was really helpful and people migrating. Mm-hmm. It was amazing. It was mm-hmm. like this now you don't have to get on a bus or a train. You've got this car. And so Candice talks about the fact that her stepfather when he was a child, he was in the back of um his father's car with his mom and that his father, her stepfather's father held, held, held had a chauffeur's cap in the back that he never wore. And one day he was stopped mm-hmm. and his stepfather recounts a story by a white cop who said, what are you doing with this car? And he goes, this is, this car belongs to my boss. This is his maid. And that's her child. And so the cap for itself was not it was insurance to some degree, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> that they could pass. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I think of those kinds of stories about freedom. So when I think of freedom, I don't, <laughs> I don't, I, I'm a snarker when it comes to this notion of freedom because I feel like the term has been co-opted. But listening to you, I'm like, I need to pull back on that. I need to start like wrestling back these things that I've willingly given up without giving a lot of thought because of their um, resonance in a particular moment in the culture. Yeah. But, um, yeah. but that's freedom to me. Right. My father jumping on that, you know, so there are moments when yeah. I, I'm like excited to go back to just this thought project about when have I seen, um, or experienced these moments of freedom when it, when it comes to movement and migration. I mean, I feel very lucky that I have the opportunities that I do in terms of work because I could travel a lot, you know, mm-hmm. before the pandemic, I was always traveling. You know, mm, 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 um, and I get to see things and I get to think about things and I get to be with people who are thinking some of the similar things and we can talk. So there's a lot of joy in that, you know, and that's a freedom yeah. that my dad did not experience, yeah. that my most of my siblings won't. And so it's my responsibility to not only do it, but 
to enjoy it and to take it apart, right? To see what, what it really is. But like but, you, I don't, again, I don't feel betrayed by these things. I feel very much like the, I'm trying to live the best life I can for the three minutes we have here. <laughs> Our three minutes. Yeah. Our but, three yeah. minutes. Yeah. But, but I, I, yeah. Think, I think on the way to saying um, a few other things that were really insightful, you also indicated that your father, like your maybe, I'm, I'm inferring here, but maybe your sort of reticence, uh, maybe the word, about being in rural spaces is that your father wanted to escape them because the city afforded him more opportunity to live the kind of life he wanted to. And in some ways you feel that way about Ooh. cities for you as well. I'm inferring that. It could, it, well, it, it, it has something, there's something there rumbling Mm-hmm. And it made me immediately think about when I go to places and I'm driving through towns that are relatively empty or I'm right through large expanses of farmland and so forth. I do feel a bit lost. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm looking for Maria Bamford, my favorite comedian. I was telling you guys a couple, um, a couple, a couple years back. Um, mm-hmm. She said that um, she made a joke. She says, "You know, when you're in a third world country and you're all worried about your safety or whatever, and then you see an Exxon sign and you go, oh, someone's king, someone's <laughs> looking out for me.'" <laughs> but she said, "I think a multinational corporation." And what I loved That's about great. that moment was, right, that right, it's a very smart joke. <laughs> I, I'll tell as well as she does. It's hilarious. But, man, and so, and I'm like, you know, oh, there's a McDonald's or there's, you know, you're driving through right. someplace and you're looking for something familiar. Right. And I used to have a dream of moving to a little space, a house somewhere with a little farmland in the back. And I would sort of, um, you know, engage in what I thought my, my, my ancestors were engaging in because they all had farms and stuff up to a particular point. So... But that's that's just romanticizing this idea of connecting with my ancestors' experience, but not anything yeah. that, that I have moved anywhere near doing. Because cities, I walk out on the street, people. I love sidewalk culture. I do. Mm. Um, yeah. Despite its complications at times. Mm. I do. Yeah. I want to yeah. yeah. say hello to people. Yeah. I want to look you in the eye. I don't want to be in a car all the motherfucking time. You know? Mm. So, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I, Jay Jacobs. The- the 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 thing that that uh i don't know if i'm going to be able to say it um quite the way that it is in my head but that you know there there is we are all familiar with that feeling of when you first come to a new place or when you you first get into a new situation that feeling of liberty and freedom of like Mm. so much is open like you can like whoa, like I can, my day is mine, right? Like I can, I can, I can make my way. That's like the first few days. And then you look around and there are all these other fucking people around you thinking the very same thing. And they want to get to the same damn place that you do. And it's a scrum. It's a struggle. It's a fight. Mm -hmm. And that is a wonderful, glorious brilliant thing it, it, it's it's rough and there are consequences and there are prices to be paid but mm-hmm. that that collection of 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 people pursuing their one true thing like has resulted in a myriad of wonders just yeah. I, I mean just a myriad of wonders and i feel like i feel like once you get to a place and You've you've like sort of elbowed your way into the world and set up shop. You want it all to stop now. Like I got okay now. Now the game's done. It's like when you're a kid and you're like running around and like you tag the person. Okay, game's over. Time out. Right. Game's over. Time out. That that's it. I'm I'm done. And so th- that that's what I feel like is happening right now. Okay. So like in cities like New York and and whatnot, like you've got people who have who have achieved status and they have some security and they're like, okay, that's it. Game over. Like we're good. Right. Well, let's just freeze right here. Um, And so, yeah, that's what, I mean. But, but I still want to, I'm really still asking this question about the rural and I get that you're, that both of you are really interested in this question of freedom and opportunity. I get that, but I just, I really kind of want to 
Just <laughs> get an okay, answer Dad. to that. <laughs> <laughs> why can't Why can't you let the kids play with this other idea? Like, what, what? Oh, <laughs> it's over. It's over, Seth. Oh, it's over. Oh, <laughs> question now. Freedom, freedom, freedom. Will you just fucking so, tell no. me? Go ahead. So I, here's the thing. So I I will say I do not. Mm-hmm. Feel uncomfortable in rural rural environments. Okay, and and it, your mm-hmm. your rural question was actually circulating in my head, and which would led me on the tangent. Mm. And my thought about it, though I didn't say it out loud, mm-hmm. is that um, I, I actually think that rural environments move more slowly, and there's mm. less of a scrum because mm. they tend to be they tend to be more static. People mm. have lived there for mm. years. Relationships are established. Families are known. Right. Mm-hmm. There's less movement. Mm-hmm. It's much slower. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think rural environments are fine for me. I don't, you know, I I would not necessarily want to live in one because the things that I actually enjoy aren't there in abundance. I'm not right. saying they're not there at all, right. Right. but you know, in, mm-hmm. in abund- the, the variety of things that I enjoy are not as easily accessible. Mm-hmm. And so that would reduce mm-hmm. my pleasure living in those areas. Okay. So I want to answer the question myself and say that I think for me, the rural environments generally make me anxious and or afraid. Mm-hmm. And I think it's stranger danger. I mean, when I think of a mm-hmm. rural environment, mm-hmm. I don't think of like, the promise of western exp- uh, westward 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 expansion <laughs> i think expansion. of like no country for old men i think of like vast oh, spaces where there are like people who are sociopaths uh who <laughs> wander around and you never know whether the guy at the gas station next to you is one of those sociopaths or is like the local like um pastor of whatever uh mm-hmm. uh, uh church. They might be the same thing. Or both. Right. 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 They get it. Exactly. But for for sure. But for me, the the problem is that there isn't enough in rural places. Yeah. There there certainly isn't enough of the things that entice me about cities, but they also speak to me, you know, logically or illogically is probably most likely. This is illogic. Um, They feel slightly more dangerous to me. Yeah. I mean, statistically, it's not logical, right? Because you're much yeah. more likely to be right. uh, the victim of a crime in, in New York city. or Chicago right. than, you, than right. you are in, you know, like Galax, Virginia or something like that. Right, 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 um, right. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting that the victimization... The I get. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Oh, no, no, you what? did. I did. I was just, I, I just, ta- you, please go, Stephen. I didn't have anything else to say. So I, was, I apologize. I was just thinking about the um, the terror you might be thinking about stuff if i mm. could use that word mm. is the idea of discontent like i think isn't it i mean we've talked about this the white family moves to a big old house somewhere mm-hmm. this place is going to be great mm-hmm. <laughs> and the house is on fire and there's ghosts <laughs> everywhere and it's right, like right right, right stay right. in the city <laughs> that's all i get from those films get- why are you here? I, I hate those films because they never scare me. <laughs> they just make me anxious around, why'd you move here in the first place? Right. I never get off the first thing. Right. And there's always a kid going, something didn't seem right here. I'm like, yeah, you got it. Get out of here. Your parents know nothing. <laughs> I've got to deal with demons from some other life. But you, you, keep going. You know? <laughs> And nobody wins. They sort of kind of win, but they really don't. You know, yeah. do some jump scares. Yeah. You know, yeah. but I, I like those films because I think that the, the they come out every year. Yeah. Come out every year. Now we're doing more single women, I noticed. Yeah. And usually single white women, they're looking across the street to see if someone's doing something. And I'm like, <laughs> what does that mean? Right. <clears throat> I need to go into film studies. Right. Anyway. Yeah. Okay. So, um, yeah, it's the anxiety of the border crossing, right? I mean, that's the, that's the, that's what those films are, right? I mean, and so you're, the home is unstable. Usually the father is some, is some, is, is weak. He can't protect the family, you know, or, or, or the, he's, the right, resolution, right. the resolution at the end is that he recovers his manhood and is able to save the family. And, you know, or he's, um, the guy who's actually the fucking trouble, who's actually terrorizing he's, the family. Yeah. In The Shining, for he's, example, that's what he is. Yeah. yeah. And that's, yeah, he's yeah. actually, that film. yeah, 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 yeah. yeah uh, he's the, sure. he's yeah, the problem. An awesome film. Oh gosh. I love that film. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I think, it, Steph, you, you're, we're coming up on time, right? You have stuff you got to do. Yeah, so. we're, we're... Yeah. 
Um, so it's a great topic. So even though I apparently, apparently we, we colored outside the lines too much for, for Seth today, but, um, <laughs> well, you know, I am the kind of person who the world, not the freedom. I am the kind of person who does really like to color inside the lines. I think you both know that about me. Yeah. Well, no, I, I, I say, I get it because I know like sometimes you'd be like, hey, you know, I want a Slurpee and I'm, and you know, I'm like, can you believe like Roman generals? Like I, I understand. Like, <laughs> I, I, I don't understand Jack Kirby at all. The way he drew those comics, you're like, we were getting some food. Did you want to eat? What's going on? Yeah, so. so I, I understand that 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 is definitely a shortcoming. Sometimes, like let's just talk about this thing right here. So, Anywho. can we talk about the betrayal that you feel next week or uh, in two weeks? Travis? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. About, yeah we can yeah. do that. That would for be sure. awesome because I want to explore for myself more often. I want to hear what Seth has to say about this notion of yeah, happy the to. betrayal. Okay, yeah, cool, cool. Happy to. Yeah. yeah, that sounds good. Um, all right. Well, we've got our topic then. Uh, yeah. So, good talking to you. Right, cool. Both, yeah, as you always. Take care, guys. Awesome. Bye. Later. All right. Bye-bye.